We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What is up, everybody? Welcome inside the Guilty as Charged podcast. My name is Steven. I am your host. Uh, joining me tonight is just Tyler. Uh, Alex is out with uh, med school things tonight. Uh, he is not on the injury report, unlike half of the whole Chargers team that we'll uh, get into. But uh, Tyler, how you doing, man? And uh, what's up with the UCI stuff lately? Well, I go to UCI, so thanks for paying attention to where I go to school. Uh, what college do you like again? Was it BYU? Uh, no, I'm doing very, very well. Uh, I sat through classes today for student teaching, sat through Zoom class for the program. Now I'm here. So 13th hour, good to go, man. I got my coffee and me doing well. How are you? I'm doing good. It's uh, It's been a day. I, uh, I've talked about this before. So uh, I record from my in-law's house now because we moved into a new house. It's a new development and uh, we do not have the capability to have internet yet. So uh, we... Had we signed an addendum when we uh, first moved in to uh, acknowledge that we were not going to have internet for like two weeks. Um, that turned into 30 days and then that turned into 90 days. So we are not going to have internet or cable until November. Uh, so have to keep recording at my in-laws house for the next month or so. So it's great. That feels like a challenge. Like, would you rather <laughs> do this or have no internet right. for three months? <laughs> and you've just done that not by choice, but you've endured this for quite a while. Um, so respect to Steven, you and everyone in the chat should know, like Steven's been 
having to deal with this and work with this and he still shows up and does his job uh so keep at it man you're almost there i think i, know. I was talking with brooke and she was like well we've done it for two months so it's another month and i was like another month like <laughs> <laughs> But, uh, you know, luckily, I have a great relationship with my in-laws. You know, they're they're cool with me kind of still in a room for, uh, you know, recording purposes. So mm-hmm. um, can't thank the uh, the Bowman family enough. But, uh, yeah, so obviously here to preview the uh, Chargers upcoming matchup with the Seattle Seahawks. Um, going to dive into uh, everything that happened, you know, during their offseason, their new coaching staff. Um, obviously, we're, we're six weeks into the season, third of the way through um but we'll have a lot to talk about there talk about their rookie class and then as we always do key matchups and things like that unfortunately like i said we do have to talk about the injury report today and it is a lengthy one so first and foremost uh sounds like keenan allen again is not going to play this week according to daniel popper um they are electing to uh give him another week off essentially two weeks off because of the chargers bye week and then hopefully be fully healthy against the Falcons in week nine. So he's not the only pass catcher that is dealing with something. Uh, Donald Parham and Joshua Palmer both have concussions. Um, Josh Palmer is, you know, obviously a lot of people talking about Donald Parham and and rightly so for what happened last year. Uh, Josh Palmer also had a concussion in the preseason. That's why he missed the final game of the preseason. So this is his second concussion of the year. Obviously Donald Parham's second concussion in the last calendar year. Either way, not ideal. And then also Gerald Everett has an illness, did not practice today. So uh, it sounds like Gerald Everett should be fine. Then again, Corey Lindsay was supposed to be fine as well. Um, but this Chargers skill position, man, uh, we haven't even talked about Joshua Kelly yet, who's potentially out for a month with a knee injury. Uh, but this Chargers skill position room, if you want to call it that, is hurting in a very, very bad way right now. Yeah, not great. Uh, this is the second time not only has Palmer had the second concussion this year, but it's days after the game. It's not yeah. even just like he gets taken out of the game. All of a sudden, one, two days later, it's like, oh, Palmer had a concussion. He's in the concussion protocol. Not great. I I don't say I was suspicious that he had one, but after some of the hits that he took, um, whether it's the 37th screen he caught or whatever, it just seemed like, like he's taken a lot of hits, a lot of punishment, especially for a guy yeah. who had a knee issue, an ankle issue going into the game, even though he did practice in full. Um, but for it to be a concussion, that's rough. I don't know if he had one last year, but two already in such a short span, that's no good. Donald Parham with the concussion as well. Uh, obviously not the same kind of concussion, but no concussion is a good concussion. Yeah. That's worrisome. But just, man, the dreaded illness popped up. I believe there was a player for Seattle, I can't recall who, who also has some sort of illness as well. So mm-hmm. I don't know if there's something going around or what. Uh, again, they don't specify whether it's COVID or something, but uh, with Corey, it was food poisoning. So I don't know what it is for Gerald Everett, but hopefully he's okay because I don't want to see Trey McKitty as the starting tight end because uh, that's not a thing that should happen for the Chargers. I would rather sign somebody else or just flip Richard Rodgers over to be the starter. <laughs> They're going to go through a lot right now, and it seems like the yeah. defense is mostly healthy. Obviously, no Joey Bosa. Sebastian Joseph Day was limited. But I feel like they're going to be about the same as they were um, against the Broncos. It's going to be another week where the de- the defense has to carry the offense. And as much as we want to see different things from the offense or for them to be better, they just have to survive because they're running out of bodies and everything involved in their run game, everything that they could do in the passing game, that all might be gone against the Seahawks, who are arguably the second best offense they'll be facing for some time. 
So, which, which is, again, the whole thing we'll get into. But it's going to be tough. Um, they'll need everything they can from this defense this week. Yeah, absolutely. And again, like you mentioned, we'll, we'll dive into that. Uh, Noah Fant, the Seahawks tight end, is the one with the illness. Uh, so I don't know if that was something from last week. But um, yeah, so like I said, obviously, uh, Joshua Kelly not practicing, supposedly out for at least two weeks. Um, you know, the good news there, obviously, is that there is the bye week. Same with Dustin Hopkins. Both of those two players uh, diagnosed initially with the same kind of time frame of two to four weeks. So, um, you know, shout out Dustin Hopkins. He won AFC uh, Special Teams Player of the Week and deservedly so. Um, but yeah, you know, he's got a, a, a hamstring injury, another hamstring for the Chargers, which is great. Um, but, you know, we'll see what happens with Taylor Bertolet. Uh, if it is a four-week injury, um, like I said, the bye week could prevent uh, them from having to place him on IR. Um, but we'll see Taylor Bertolet at least for this upcoming week and then likely the Falcons game as well. So um, that's the kicking situation now with uh, Hopkins and Taylor Bertolette. Yeah, what a mild blessing that we got to see Bertolette at least in some action. Now, yeah. making previous kicks mean you're going to make the next ones. If you've never had experience in the NFL, no. Like this isn't Justin Tucker here or anything. But I do feel a bit better that they have another option in their back pocket just in case there's something up with Hopkins and he can't come back in two, three weeks, whatever it ends up being. Um, but not great uh, for him to have a potentially four-week injury and have played on that and hit a game winner. Yeah. Hit several field goals that were all needed. Really, really impressive for Hopkins, man. Yeah, and, and like I said, getting a lot of uh, deserved praise. He was on the not he wasn't on the show for Pat McAfee, but they were talking about him. Uh, so you know, it was pretty cool to see. And then got the report that he's going to be out for two to four weeks. So um, you know, we'll see what happens there um kicking with your uh hamstring on your plant leg to me probably is going to be you know a longer term injury than the two weeks and we know how obviously the chargers uh kind of take it easy so um we'll see what happens right i feel like they probably should place him on ir and then just sign taylor bertolette to the active roster um and like you said i feel like we can at least have some confidence in uh bertolette's ability to come in and kick consistently so um, other than that, we'll see, you know, there weren't any other DNPs. Uh, Will Clapp does have a quad injury. Um, he was limited in practice today. Sounded like they expect him to be fine, although he was pretty shaken up mm -hmm. uh, when he walked off the field. So not sure about that one. Um, Sebastian Joseph Daly, you mentioned limited part participant today. And then Trey Pipkins limited as well. So um, you know, Trey is absolutely somebody that I think needs to get through this bye week. Um, theoretically, should be healthier this week than he was uh, last heading into Monday Night Football, of course. But, you know, him dealing with a short week, that to me is like of anybody that is potentially going to play hurt. Like Pipkins is the one that I'm like most concerned about uh, his, you know, being able to do his job properly. Yeah, 100%. Uh... If Lindsley's back and there's no designation for him on the report, right? So I think he's he's back back and it's not like an injury. So yeah, should be good there. Pipkins, yeah, would love to see him at least a little bit better than he was last week. Didn't seem like he went through any setbacks, but obviously he was not 100%. You don't go from, and I, again, I get it's a small sample size for Pipkins. So again, I'm, there could be an avalanche on the way. I don't know. But for him to go from, I think, what, seven pressures on the entire year to five in one game in a sack, you could tell like yes he was facing a good edge rusher don't get me wrong 
but you could tell he was just not the same guy. So him being you know on a short week or not a short well yeah on a short week Sorry, with yeah. his potential injury going up against Echenen Wosu, who I'm sure would love to revisit Trey Pipkins a few times. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that'll be a tough one for sure. Yeah, Trey Trey Pipkins and um, I forget their uh, Daryl Taylor. I think it is. So this isn't like. A uh, great edge rusher duo, but it, it, it's solid. It'll give Pipkin some challenges if he's not close to 100%. So um, from the Seattle side of things, not a ton to talk about. Obviously, the big one to keep an eye on there is uh, Tyler Lockett did not practice today with a hamstring injury. Uh, Gabe Jackson also did not practice their their starting guard, who, of course, we're familiar with from his days with the Raiders. Um, he did not practice with knee slash hip injuries. So um, those are the two big ones. Chenna and Wosu didn't practice today. That sounded was more like a, a veteran day off, but um, obviously the Seahawks probably should end up being a little healthier than the Chargers heading into this game. Yeah, good for them. If Lockett <laughs> is out, who do you know who their? I should have looked this up, but who is their third receiver? It's not Bo Melton, is it? He's buried. No, Bo Melton's on the practice squad. Oh, um, so they actually cut him. I wish that the Chargers would have, you know, scooped him up. But, you know, uh, we'll see what happens there. I think it's been Marquise, Mark. Yeah, Marquise Goodwin, Dwayne Eskridge, some combination there. Um, they're they're really looks like they're really heavy on like double tight end sets and things like that. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. Uh, if you look at their at least from a snap percentage from like um pass catching or just total like passing snaps it's like dk tyler lockett then it's like noah fant will dilsley and colby parkinson after Mm -hmm. that so um we'll get arjun's full report tomorrow but um sounds like the seahawks kind of do a lot of two tight end three tight end sets yeah i mean they traded for one there's not a lot of guys i mean obviously dk obviously lockett not a lot of crazy standouts there but some dudes like some good dudes on offense who could just do some damage and I'm, i'm sure they will yeah, <laughs> yeah. This this sounds like it's a game that's going to be in the in the thirties again, or at least close to it. But uh, we'll get into it. Um, all right, we'll uh, do our usual presentation on the uh, Seattle Seahawks additions, coaches, draft class, all that stuff. Again, you know, we're six weeks into the season, so it's going to be uh, a bit more of a check in to see how this team is doing. Deep dive, as, and as always, uh, Tyler bringing the heat today with a twilight graphic. So. Uh, was not I should have expected a Twilight thing, right? Because you know, a couple of weeks ago we had like Disney uh, fairy tale thing. So uh, for our audio audience, I would definitely encourage you to uh, come on YouTube and uh, at least check out the graphics for today. But um, yeah, you, you know me, big Twilight and fairy tales guy. <laughs> Did you watch the Twilight series when you were in high school? Oh, one hundred percent. I have three school? younger sisters, so I I watched uh, yeah, that. Yeah. I went to the movies to watch them. Um, yeah, good stuff. Were you uh, did you, were you on a, a side? Did you have a team or not that into it? Um, I guess I was Team Edward because I thought Jacob <laughs> was just mildly obnoxious and, and moody. I thought Edward was slightly less obnoxious and moody. <laughs> Frankly, I was on the side of the final battle they had in the part two, whatever that movie was, where everyone died. That's what I was on the side of. I was on the side of just sheer terror and but also happiness watching fan favorites die. <laughs> they didn't end up actually dying, which was worse. <laughs> I uh, I was working out in our in our garage like a week ago, um, and I had like a two thousands rock playlist on my on my phone going, you know, uh-huh. and uh, that Muse song from yep. when they're at the at the baseball. <laughs> uh-huh. 
<laughs> and uh brooke heard the song and she came out and she was like why are you watching twilight i'm like i'm working out why would i be watching twilight <laughs> to get motivation you know they take off their shirts and like i want to be like jacob mm-hmm. i get it i get it oh man good stuff good stuff as always tyler so uh yeah we'll jump right into the coaching stuff <laughs> oh my goodness um all right, so obviously the head coach for the Seattle Seahawks is uh, Mr. Pete Carroll. Been in the league for quite some time, of course. Uh, you know, I'm sure most of our Los Angeles listeners are familiar with his work. Mm-hmm. Um, but he's made, you know, he's made quite a few coaching changes that uh, have been surprising over the last couple of years because he's he's been uh, historically known to be kind of stubborn and stuck in his ways. Um, but obviously, heading into last season. He hired Shane Waldron away from the Rams. Uh, Brandon Staley also tried to hire him as offensive coordinator. Um, so Shane Waldron, very well versed in the uh, Shanahan McVay kind of offense, if you will. They're going to do a lot of wide zone, a lot of motion, a lot of bootlegs. Uh, you know, so a pretty similar offense overall to kind of what the Chargers are doing, minus the emphasis on stick. Um, but overall, seems like Shane Waldron uh, doing a good job over there, and then defensively. Um, Clint Hurt, and they also hired Sean Desai, who used to be the, the defensive coordinator in Chicago. Um, so Hurt and Desai bringing over a lot of the Vic Vangio, Brandon Staley principles. So um, this is really kind of mirror images from a schematic standpoint, at least, uh, you know, certain parts of it, of course, like I said. So, um, you know, this the Seahawks have, are pivoting away from the old school 4-3, cover three emphasis defensive scheme that obviously took over the league and now they're kind of transitioning to this uh, new age defense where they're going to be running a three, four, do a lot of two high safety looks, mix, mix and match coverages. Um, so it's been really interesting to see, obviously the Seahawks defense, not great statistically just yet. Um, so I'll definitely pencil them in for some uh, defensive draft picks next year. But um, you know, as somebody who is just kind of a, a fan of, good coaching. I think it, it shows a lot about Pete Carroll uh, that he's willing to kind of take on these new styles this late in his career and, and kind of adapt to what's happening in the NFL. So um, yeah, that's the uh, Seattle Seahawks coaching staff. And those new styles and everything they're doing, it's working for them. I, I really thought this coaching staff, I thought the Pete Carroll era was over. Um, yeah. Obviously they didn't fire him yet, but I thought, you know, Wilson was just ending his career with the Seattle Seahawks. They weren't doing so hot. I mean, they, yeah, they did go 12 and four in 2020, but it just seemed like this is where we were headed. And frankly, Pete Carroll is, I believe, it's the oldest head coach in the league right now. So it's not like yeah. this was maybe sustainable for a very long time. And yet here we are looking at this team and genuinely worried about them because they've made good moves on offense, on defense, in the draft for future picks as well. Um, they make good moves in free agency, not a ton, um, but enough. And we'll talk about those in a bit. This team is really, I don't want to say turned itself around because they are only three and three, but they are far, far better than I ever would have guessed heading into this year. And kudos to Pete Carroll and everybody else for putting that together. Yeah. I mean, their overall predicted win total heading into the season, I think was six and a half. So they're really ahead of schedule right now. And um, we'll get next to kind of their, offseason moves and um, you can really kind of see the vision kind of coming uh, together. Obviously the, the Russell Wilson trade, really the biggest move of the offseason, you know, they get Drew Locke, Noah Fant, 
um, and uh, draft picks as well as Shelby Harris um, as kind of the draft picks for Russell Wilson. And then obviously adding Chenna and Wosu, Quandre Diggs in there as well. Um, they picked up the Ram center, Austin Blythe. Um, so they didn't have a ton of losses outside of Russell Wilson. Obviously, uh, Gerald Everett coming over, which has been a good move for us. Um, and then, you know, they lose DJ Reed to the Jets. So um, they're a young team, specifically on defense, specifically in the trenches on offense. Um, but they took this free agency move, this free agency uh, period and draft period and kind of did a soft reset. It, it seemed like from the perspective of like from us, from the casual public, right, that this was going to be a full on rebuild. Um, but this coaching staff, this front office has really turned this into like a soft reset. Uh, you know, they've made some really solid moves. Chen Wosu on pace for his first 50 plus total pressure season, um, essentially increasing his production by about half a pressure a game uh, from what he was with the Chargers last year, which is not necessarily a surprise. Most pass rushers do peak on their second contract. So um, Chen is playing well. Quandre Diggs playing really well. They don't use Noah Fant a ton. Um, but other than that, they're they're. Their free agency additions and losses, I think, are obviously panning out for them so far. Yeah, Shannon Wosu, I believe, is a ten million dollar a year deal, pretty solid, and it's paying off for them. And I've, I just, not that it really matters, but I do look on Twitter and see what are the reactions to like Wosu and how he's playing. And I do the same for Kaiser White. Like, how are the fans embracing <laughs> him? And they seem to love Shannon Wosu. They love his motor. Yeah. They love his hustle. Um, I believe he had a rest day so far this week. So I, it mm-hmm. sounds like they're playing him a bit more than they maybe intended to, but he's playing pretty well as far as I can tell. Um, I believe he did force that fumble on Melvin Gordon. I've only watched one Seattle game this year, and it was a game against the Broncos, and he looked great. He looked like the best of what we saw from Lieutenant Mosley with the Chargers, and that's really paying off. But like you said, like a nice soft reset for them. I, I thought it was a rebuild. I thought you just they were going to have Drew Locke. He was going to start. They were going to suck, and they were going to, you know, <laughs> accumulate picks and they already had picks and you know find their quarterback next year and they they still might you know again it's only six games in but they are suddenly in a spot where if they sort of wanted to and with where the the rams look and the niners are kind of 50 50 and the cardinals not being so hot they could legitimately challenge for the playoffs in the nfc west which again i would not have expected so credit to them and these free agent pickups i mean even if they're not challenging for the division like i think the nfc it's a, a total toss up right now. I mean, the Giants mm-hmm. are five and one, and like none of us would have expected that. So, <laughs> yeah. um, they're in a position to to make this really interesting. And as NSN points out, and as we'll get to in here in a second, you know, they still have uh, four draft picks in the top 100 at least next year. So, um, you know, they're set up for the future. They're set up for right now. I mean, weirdly enough, this is kind of like a uh, textbook soft reset. Like I said, be able to continue to compete as well as building for the future. Yeah, 100%. All right, let's talk about this draft class, which I liked. I, um, a lot of the players in here we had talked about several <laughs> times for the Chargers at different spot. Um, yeah, if you get the look at all those chickens, uh, Vine or whatever that is, great. If you don't, uh, maybe I'm slightly older than you or something. Um, yeah, so the two picks they got from the Seahawks for this year, at least the two notable ones, uh, one turned into Boye Mafe. The other one, I believe, was Charles Cross. So, hey, that's a pretty good start. Uh, as far as Cross and Lucas go, they've been solid. I think Rashawn Slater has kind of spoiled um, <laughs> us and the rest of the world with how Absolutely. a tackle could be coming out. 
Um, but again, 25 pressures and five sacks allowed between the two uh, over the course of six games is really solid. And Seattle, listen, they, you know, whether you think these are, these are the better prospects, you know, I think you had you and I had a different offensive tackle number one. Um, you like Lucas more than I did, uh, but I still really like Lucas. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. But they really did find two of maybe the four best pure pass protecting tackles in the class, if not two of the three best, honestly, because Lucas was outstanding as well. And those early returns that they're getting from these guys is, is part of the reason why their offense has been so successful. So for them to get cross, get Lucas, two bookends, and they're set on two bookend tackles on rookie deals. I mean, come on, that's that's outstanding for them. Uh, Tariq Woolen has really been um, in the fifth round, the, the talk of the town, especially because of uh, the four interceptions. And I believe there was two like forced fumbles or something to start the year. You do have Woolen, you do have Bryant. I know you like Kobe Bryant more than I did. I think we all either, either I don't remember if you watched Woolen or not, but I think we all just didn't like Tariq Woolen all that much. Not because there wasn't potential there. There was. Um, but it was just the film wasn't that great. I mean, I watched him get toasted by Bailey Zapp in Western Kentucky. Um, and here we are, though. Like People are saying Tariq Woolen could potentially be defensive you know, rookie of the year. And why I don't think that'll happen, he's certainly been one of their best surprises, even though I know Arjun's uh, coverage metrics don't say that Woolen is a great corner right now. But still, like what you're getting from him with those six takeaways or turn, forced turnovers or whatever it is, that's really good. So Woolen and Brian have given up 200 yards, you know, about 200 yards each so far. Uh, Woolen does have six penalties on him with two declined, uh, but still, overall, they're getting great returns across Lucas, Woolen, Bryant, really, really good. And they finally just started to get some real returns on Kenneth Walker, who I laughed at them, honestly, when they took <laughs> Kenneth Walker, because it's not like this was a team yeah. that had everything figured out. And again, we had no idea they would be this competitive early on. But they had Chris Carson. They had Rashad Penny. Uh, and then why were you taking Kenneth Walker in the second round? Not that he's a bad player. Just why would you take another running back? Of course, you find out with Chris Carson with the injury. He's no longer. He, did he retire officially or he's just out for the year? He retired. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so Chris Carson retired. And so now Rashad Penny's out for the year. And suddenly, hey, guess what? We have an RB1 still with Kenneth Walker. Um, results of a process, I suppose. <laughs> Less than 10 carries a week heading into you know this past week. Finally got a big start last week. 21 carries, 97 yards, and a touchdown. It's going to be a challenge for this Chargers defense because I didn't think, like, he wasn't our RB1 or I think even RB2 or maybe even RB3 for us. I think um, he was because, I think he was Alex's RB3. Okay. I think he was my RB4, if I'm not mistaken, or RB3. Yeah. I don't remember where I had him uh, between him and Pierce. The thing about him is, inarguably, when he hit the open field, when he got a chance to get to the second level, he was as dynamite as anybody else in this class. He was very, very difficult to go get a real angle breaker for defenses. And you saw that, I believe, on either a screen or a swing pass uh, last week against the Cardinals. He's just very tough in the open field. So the Chargers have a lot um, on their plates this uh, upcoming week. The only guy that like really isn't getting what they probably wanted was Boye Mafe. And I think collectively across the board for all three of us, but definitely you and I, weren't huge fans of yeah. Boye Mafe. We're more of like we'll take a little bit more technical refinement and a pass rush plan over pass rush, you know, upside. Um, and someone like Boye Mafe, only three pressures so far in six games on 71 pass rush reps. Now you take him because you can build him and develop him. And listen, they're right. doing it with Tariq Woolen, they're doing it with some of those other guys. Um, but three pressures for a second round pick right now isn't that great. 
but still, that's that's doing more with their second pick than the Chargers are. So, hey, good for you. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, we talked we talked obviously in the draft process, right? You're trying to get you know three starters from each draft. You're trying to get you know two role players after that. So, um, I, I think unquestionably this is the best draft the Seahawks have had in quite some time. So. Um, you know, Charles Cross, Abraham Lucas have each had their rookie moments, right? You know, similar thing with Zion Johnson. Um, but you know, they've flashed a lot of high level football. Um, even Brandon Thorne, who was, uh, I don't want to say against Abe Lucas, but he was not high on him at all has, Mm -hmm. you know, come out said several times that Lucas is playing really great football and in his opinion is the best rookie offensive tackle right now. So, um, Lucas is playing well, Charles Cross is playing well. If that's all this draft class was, like you, you kind of call it a success again, uh, mm-hmm. you know, a few months ago, right? Because you get two starting offensive tackles, but, um, you know, then you add in two starting corners for them, Tariq Woolen and Kobe Bryant. Kobe Bryant's their slot corner, so he doesn't play a hundred percent of snaps like Tariq Woolen does. Um, but that's four starting players at premium positions right there, um, and then obviously Kenneth Walker, who this is going to be. Uh, a very difficult test for this Chargers team because he does everything that the Chargers defense struggles with, right? Like he he forces missed tackles, he gets to the second level, and he has that game-breaking speed. So uh, if you look at his numbers from last week, um, you know, he didn't run for a ton of yards, but he forced 12 missed tackles in one game against the Cardinals last week, and he had four runs of 10 yards or more. So, uh, you know, the Chargers are going to have to be on their uh, assignment sound football again this week. Otherwise, Kenneth Walker could take one to the house and and really kind of change this game. So it's been the theme of the season, right? Like, just don't give up these Ugh. big plays. They did a really good job mm-hmm. of it on Monday night, right? But that's that's Latavius Murray, who's yeah, been in the NFL for 15 years, you know? Latavius Murray, yeah, very different. <laughs> it's not Kenneth Walker. So um, this rookie class is really making an impact for the Seattle Seahawks. And uh, as a draft fan of, of several of these players, uh, it's been fun to see. I will say about Tariq Woolen, um, you know, Arjun's coverage metrics that he he shared with us basically have him as like the rookie version of what uh, Trevon Diggs was last year. Not super efficient on a play to play play to play basis, but he's had the splash plays. So, you know, we'll see what happens. You know, if he's covering Mike Williams. That said, he was a project. They were not expecting him to be a starter. It sounded like mm-hmm. heading into the draft. Um, so they're getting the splash plays. He's making a strong impact. He's just not super consistent, but I think you'll you'll live with that based off of who you were drafting. Yeah, one hundred percent. That's that's great for them. Uh, I, I'm that's probably the player if he pans out that I've been the most wrong about. And 100%. you know, you gamble on trades, and sometimes it's it's freaking awful, and sometimes it turns into Tariq Bullen, or at least the way he's been so far. So not bad. <laughs> yeah, I'm always just leery of like the traits players who don't show like. And like, not that he didn't show like any good tape, right? But like, you know, he didn't dominate at UTSA. So that to me was just like, okay, I don't really know. I don't see it here. Right. Like, I was lower on Trayvon Walker, but at least like you saw the ability, mm-hmm. right? Like you saw yeah, the flashes mm-hmm. with with Woolen. I never really felt that way. He also wasn't very good at the Senior Bowl, um, so mm-hmm. he was not somebody I was super interested in drafting. Um, but you know, the Seahawks really have a knack for finding these corners and turning them into high level players under Pete Carroll. Uh, and it certainly sounds like he's uh, doing that again. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate 
isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Yeah, we get Sawyer, so it's all good. <laughs> hey, uh, Jamari Sawyer has the best pass blocking efficiency rating of any offensive type of any rookie offensive tackle. Isn't that right insane? Yeah, absolutely <laughs> driven to Fresno and beating the shit out of you. If you told me that Jamari Sawyer at left tackle after facing Miles Garrett as well, it was better in terms of the numbers than Neil Cross, Iquano, <laughs> you name it. Like that sounds insane. I, but whatever. Hey, man. I'll take it. Special kidding. Yeah, it's working. So, um, yeah, that's our uh, Seattle Seahawks deep dive. So, um, all right, we'll get to the Charger side of things. Obviously, a lot of uh, key takeaways here from this upcoming matchup. I think this is definitely not a matchup that people should be taking lightly. Um, you know, mm-hmm. with the way this uh, this Seattle Seahawks offense is playing. Again, they're very opportunistic Seattle Seahawks defense. So. Uh, Tyler, we'll start with you here. Um, what's your uh, biggest key matchup of the week? I mean, honestly, how could it not be JC Jackson versus who, whichever receiver he's up against, whether that's DK, whether it's Tyler Lockett, whether it's Marquise Goodwin, whether it's their fifth wide receiver who might toast him for a touchdown because he's doing the wrong assignment. Like JC Jackson versus whoever is across from him is that matchup. Uh, they're going to play him this week. They said he is the starter. And they do kind of have to force it. People might say, oh, you know, it's because of the money. Well, like, yeah, it kind of is. Um, but also, JC Jackson is a good player somewhere in there. He's just not there mentally. He seems like he has a really good mentality heading into this week. I'm going to stay and watch film longer. I'll be the first guy in, the last guy out. I know some people on Twitter were like, well, why weren't you doing that already? He probably was i'm not i wouldn't be surprised if he was i don't think it was i don't think this is a kyler murray situation by any means no no i don't think he's playing call (laughs) of duty or or if he is please stop please stop doing that i know you have a ton of money um but metcalf lockett both of them over 400 yards each with two touchdowns but i'm also really fascinated with this idea that derwin james has 15 blitzes on the year and jc has only been on the field for three of them and, you know, I saw in the game against Denver, you know, Derwin, he would have him line up like he was going to uh, rush the passer. And then he'd either go to the flat or cover a tight end or something. So it's, it's like I think they were setting him up for the second half. I mean, he did get that second half blitz in that sack. And maybe that's the case for every game. Maybe they are just trying to set up Derwin, you know, get him to move a bit in the first half and in the second half unleash him. But I'm very fascinated by this idea that Derwin James isn't able to blitz when JC Jackson is on the field. It's small sample size, so it's very hard to tell, but I want to point it out now so I can revisit it at some point because sure. 
is Derwin James out there babysitting JC Jackson a little bit? And granted, it didn't work on Monday Night Football either. <laughs> um, but is he out there and unable to do the Derwin James things because he has to look out for JC Jackson? I mean, the whole point of bringing in JC or trading for Khalil Mack was to free up Derwin James and to weaponize Derwin James. And if JC Jackson's out there and he's struggling and they have to, like a tight end helping Trey Pipkins, you know, put Derwin out there to help JC in some way. And that limits what he can do as a pass rusher, which he's freaking awesome at. I think it's notable. I don't know if it's a real thing. I have not watched the defensive film. Maybe it's just because they wanted to do that against the specific quarterbacks and the specific schemes when JC also happened to be out. But I couldn't help but notice. So it's notable because JC wasn't that great this past week and they benched him because they do have to cover DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett. And also because, yeah, I want to see if Derwin is able to be you know, quote unquote unleashed, even though JC's on the field and even potentially struggling. Yeah. I mean, we could have led the show right with JC Jackson. So I'm glad you, you brought it up. Um, you know, this is a really dicey situation. Like we talked about on Monday night after the, after the game, um, you know, it sounds like he's, he's ready to really kind of, uh, fix his lack of confidence. You know, he did kind of confirm that. And you know, there's been a lot of speculation, right. About why he's kind of struggling, whether it was, a schematic fit or whether he, you know, wasn't adapt to kind of move across the country or, or, or whatever. But, you know, I felt like this was purely just all lack of confidence base and he kind of confirmed as much today. So um, he said today that he was, he felt defeated, right. That he was um, not in the, in a great spot after being benched on Monday night football. And, you know, somebody like him, who's been this high profile player for the last few years and, 25 interceptions over the last four seasons like i can understand like i mean i can't relate right but i can understand where he's coming from where he feels a certain way about his play and about being benched so they're gonna have to tread lightly this week you know and, and be able to try and and pump him up and get him back on track and play a good game this week against a really tough matchup in dk mcaf we'll see about tyler lockett um, but Geno Smith is going to target him, right? Like Geno Smith and all these backup quarterbacks that throughout the league, like they target their best players. Like that's what the backups do, right? Like they're, they're not trying to distribute the ball to five, six, seven, eight players. They're trying to go at whoever is their best player. So, um, this, this is a big, big game for JC Jackson. Sounds like he's doing the work to get ready. And I hope this pans out because, like I said on Monday, this defense needs J.C. Jackson to be able to uh, be at at least close to his full potential right now and you know get back on track. Yeah, absolutely. I know people will want to see Michael Davis and listen. First reception J.C. gives up on Sunday. I'm sure people will be calling for Michael Davis to go in. But like you said, and like, like everybody really knows, it's just tough right now to watch. The defense is better when J.C.'s at his best. The defense needs turnovers. It needs more possessions for Justin Herbert. And JC does that. Michael Davis can be fundamentally sound and scheme sound, but he isn't much of a turnover getting forced in completion right. kind of guy. Maybe he was at certain points, but really not right now. Um, so JC playing his best is great. And again, I, I hope he does. Um, it just might take some time and that's okay. I'm not giving up on him. You know, I think Popper pointed out in his live stream, JC was killing it in training camp. Like he was, and I said as much, a top player for them. As good as Bryce Callahan was in camp, JC was just as good on the outside. Now, maybe covering Mike Williams all the time makes you look a bit better because you don't have to deal with a whole lot. 
but still, that's a lot there. And he did hold his own and looked fantastic. So it's there. Something just something changed with the surgery. Maybe it was the injury for a couple of weeks. Now it's just a mentality thing, whatever. Something changed from there. And I think, you know, one good game, even just the bye week, could change everything for this defense. Yeah. And like you said, you know, this offense with all the injuries that we're talking about, like they could use a couple extra possessions each week. Uh, and if JC is able to do that, that'd be fantastic. So um, I don't know if they'll experiment with him in the slot or something else like that. You know, he did do that a little bit with the Patriots. That's why I don't really buy like the, this being like a schematic issue. I mean, if you really know the Patriots defense, like they, they change coverage schemes, like basically every other week. Um, and JC Jackson was able to handle all of that, play in the slot sometimes, play outside, uh, shadow opposing number one receivers. So um, this is just JC needs to get back to what he is able to do. And, and I think it just is all a confidence thing for him. So um, I apologize. I did this backwards. I, we usually do victory formation first. And, you know, oh, I good. didn't do the show last week. So, uh, you know, we're doing key matchups first. Um, for me, this in this Chargers interior defensive line, like honestly, might be the best part of the Chargers defense right now, uh, mm. which is crazy to yeah. really think about where this defensive roster was heading into the season. But uh, so this is my key matchup of the week: the Chargers interior defensive line against the Seattle Seahawks offensive line, and specifically the interior offensive line, of course. Um, Austin Johnson, Sebastian Joseph Day, each in the top 15 in run stop percentage right now. Morgan Fox and Jerry Tillery in the top 15 in PFF's pass rushing efficiency metric, which is crazy. I can't believe the turnaround that Jerry Tillery has had over the last few weeks. Um, but this interior defensive line is playing well. Um, they've had some flashes from Otito Ogmonia. They've had some flashes from Christian Covington. And this theoretically should be a matchup that they are able to uh dominate this week against the seattle seahawks i mentioned austin Blythe, the free agent he's a fine center he's not like obviously he's not like Corey lindsley but um you know he's a center that sebastian joseph day otito Gbonia should be able to control pretty heavily at the point of attack um gabe jackson who uh obviously like i mentioned former raider when he was with the raiders he was a dominant player uh but he is not the same as he used to be so uh as jacob points out you know Gabe Jackson could also miss this game. Um, and then you have Damian Lewis, who, you know, is is not really panned out to be the kind of guard that they drafted. They drafted him before the offensive scheme shift. So he's kind of more of like an old school, um, bigger guard as opposed to like the mobile guard that this scheme really kind of requires. So this is not a great interior defense, interior offensive line for the Seahawks. And, you know, the way that the Chargers defensive line is playing, they should take advantage of this matchup. And really, the Chargers defense needs it because we talked about Kenneth Walker. We talked about Geno Smith in the passing attack. This def this interior defensive line needs to show up and be able to stop the run, uh, create long third downs, and allow this defensive staff to really di dial up the uh, designer blitzes. So, for me, everything starts with this, uh, specifically the four defensive lineman of Sebastian Joseph Day, Austin Johnson, Morgan Fox, and Jerry Tillery. Yeah, you highlighted it right there with the designer blitzes. It doesn't work if you are you don't care about the interior <laughs> defensive lineman yeah. across from you, but it does. I mean, listen, players playing well equals good defense. Yeah, sure. But I mean, like the Chargers have been at their best on defense when these interior guys have brought it. And of course, having Khalil Mack and Joey Bosa, like against the Chiefs, for example, 
definitely helps. But man, this this interior I would say this interior defensive line group, based on the way they've played recently with Otito in the lineup, I would also add not no offense to Covington, but it just looks a little bit different with Otito right now. Based on the way Jerry Tillery has come along, the way Morgan Fox is still to rush the passer, the way Otito's been a bit of a plug, the I don't want to say resurgence for Sebastian Joseph Day, but after a quiet start, he's come along strong. Austin Johnson yeah. being strong. I would say this is probably their best position group right now with everybody healthy. Um, I could get behind uh, that on the whole team, you're saying. Yeah, absolutely. Because like edge three, four, I have concerns with, especially with Joey out. DBs, I think should be a strength, but it's not right yeah. now. It's not receiver. It's not line right now with Slater out and some guys out. I think it's their best group. And listen, Jerry Tillery, you know, we'll talk shit on him all day long for how bad he was <laughs> in certain spots. Like you said, Jerry Tillery is a is a top, granted on a smaller role, yeah. a top pass rushing defensive tackle right now. Like his pass rush win rate is good and his productivity is really good. I'm not saying it earns him a second contract with the Chargers, but listen, He's off to a really, really good start. Um, maybe not much the first couple of games, but nine pressures or whatever it is the last three weeks and a sack. It's a really, really nice role for him, for Morgan Fox. He's playing very, very well. They're playing very, very well. They're going to need it against, G- again, God, against Geno Smith <laughs> and the Seahawks. They're going to need it. But that's just the way things are right now. Against Kenneth yeah. Walker, Geno Smith, all these guys, they're going to need it. And a, hey, I'm all for it. I think this this group, amazing what happens when you put the interior defensive line coach of the year with the interior defensive linemen. It's amazing how much better they look than last year. Yeah. Granted, they spent a lot of money on upgrades as well. Yeah, you know, Jay Rogers and this coaching staff, of course, of course, Tom Telesco, Brandon Staley going out and and getting these guys. They deserve a lot of credit for the way that this interior defensive line has uh turned over right like i think there's obviously a lot of negativity about the coaching staff right now but the one thing that we knew they had to do heading into the offseason was fix the defensive line and for the most part they've done that like if joey bosa were healthy right now i think we'd be talking about a top six to eight defensive line you know in the league right now um unfortunately you know him dealing with the groin injury so this interior defensive line group is playing fantastic man and i i wanted to highlight them tonight because this is a matchup that uh, they should be able to control and win. And I think if you really go back and watch the game on Monday night, it really started to flip once Austin Johnson and Sebastian Joseph Day kind of settled in, got some run stops on Latavius Murray. We saw um, that beautiful rep from Sebastian Joseph Day where he completely tossed Cushionberry uh, mm-hmm. uh, to the side and made a tackle for loss. So they're tone setters for this defense as a whole. Obviously, Sebastian Joseph Day is a captain, right? But um this should be a group this should be a game where this quartet if you will plus we'll see what they do with uh that fifth spot it it should be a game where they play very well and the chargers definitely need that to happen Mm -hmm. the word on the whole otito versus covington thing was basically i don't know there was no real (laughs) rhyme or reason for it it just they just they had covington for a couple weeks where they had otito first then covington now otito so I, i couldn't tell you who's going to be there on sunday to be completely honest i have no idea but yeah, it, I, I kind of hope it's Otito. It kind of felt like they want Christian Covington to be like the pass rushing kind of player and then Otito mm-hmm. for the run. But then they like 
they put Covington against the Browns. I don't, I don't understand <laughs> what they're doing uh, with that fifth spot. But uh, again, they've, they deserve a lot of credit for the way that this interior defensive line has been playing. Uh, the additions have panned out very, very well for them. So uh, we'll get to our victory formation here, Tyler. Uh, what is the one thing you need to see happen for the Chargers to be able to come out victorious uh, against the Seattle Seahawks? Yeah, I feel like with Lombardi, I think he does a very good job of pivoting to something they needed to change after the game, after two games or whatever. Like they recognize what they did wrong. Here's what we could do going into the week. But I feel like in game, there's just something missing. Now, granted, if half your team all of a sudden gets hurt and you're down to Brennan Hymas and two guys have concussions and Kelly gets hurt on kickoffs. I get why the game plan is tough to implement because you literally sure. are just losing guys. You have no idea who's going to be in, but I think going into this game, like maybe it's tough to do in game, but going into this game, you're probably going to be stuck with depth unless things turn around. And it's amazing for the chargers health wise. You're probably stuck with depth and it sucks, but explore it like what can michael bandy do if you're intentional with his targets and his touches not just oh god he's got to go in now let's kind of make him do some josh palmer stuff like what if you're really intentional and you actually game plan michael bandy plays some targets something if this happens and I, we haven't even talked about this yet but what can isaiah spiller do as a receiving back if he beats out larry freaking roundtree um you know on a wheel or an angle route what does that look like explore it what if you game plan DeAndre Carter as a feature part of the week? You might not have Josh Palmer. You might not have Keenan. Oh, you don't have Keenan Allen. What if you game plan DeAndre Carter as like a feature part of the week? Not just the fourth guy, not just the third guy, but he's a feature part of the week. What does John Hightower do? If you put him in the game, you add speed to your offense. What does that do for the, the calls you can make? Does that make Herbert look more comfortable? I don't know. You know, it seemed like they wanted to get Xander Horvath involved in the passing game more last week. Herbert, throw it to him. Um, you know, don't don't hesitate. You know, and if it comes down to it, what does Joe yeah. Reed do for you? You know, I, I want to see this team. They might lose this game because they are going to, especially if more injuries happen in game, they might run out of players and they just cannot score because it's Herbert throwing to himself, taking snaps from Corey Lindsley. <laughs> so explore this depth. You have and you have a bye week coming up. See what works. Because you're going to have to make some adjustments. You're going to get injuries throughout the rest of the year. Go for it. Give, give This is not like an all-in, you know, see what, you know, throw everything at the wall and see what sticks scenario. But give some guys a shot. Give some guys, like, I know Mike Williams is your feature. They're probably going to have him as that feature X versus Tariq Woolen, and I get it. But let's be intentional about some of these depth pieces and see what you have. Because when everyone comes back after the buy, if you know what you can do with these other guys now, you have a really, really deep roster, in my opinion. Not that Michael Benny is the greatest depth ever. You know, not that Xander Horvath is, you know, as your RB3 is the greatest thing ever. But, like, know what you can do with these guys. And then coming out of the bye with Keenan, with everyone healthy, you can do maybe a little bit more. So I would love to see them explore their depth and do something intentionally with it. Yeah, I think that's a great call. You know, I felt like the overall game plans against Houston and the Browns were – fantastic i thought the offense was doing some really cool things in the run game i thought they were getting the ball to mike williams in in really fantastic ways and more on that in a second um and the offense was playing really really well and then obviously last week watching that back i haven't watched the film yet i watched the i rewatched the broadcast angle um but it felt like as soon as everybody started getting hurt it was like oh shit let's just do a ton of screen passes run stick and we'll just see what happens 
Um, so like you said, you know, being able to make some adjustments in the game, I think it is absolutely crucial. So we'll see what happens with this receiver group, right? I, they, I don't think they have a choice but to sign Michael Benny to the active roster at this point, um, which should be, benefit them for the season as a whole. So I know that there's been some confusion about what they're able to do with Michael Bandy. So I'll address, I'll address this really quickly. Um, and then I'll, I'll give my point, but um, the NFL changed their practice squad elevation rules again this year. Um, they changed it because of COVID and then they changed it again this year. So um, you get a, you get to elevate a player three times from the practice squad. And then after that third time, they either have to stay on your practice squad the rest of the season or you waive them and then you can restart that that three elevation cycle again. But obviously you have to they would be subject to waivers and you never know if somebody would pick up Michael Banny in this case or you sign them to the active roster. And then obviously they're a part of the uh, 53 man roster. That's what they did with Richard Rogers. Uh, they did that um, pretty, uh, pretty much on Friday, I want to say um, is it, kind of the deadline. So we'll see what happens with. Josh Palmer probably not playing this week. I think you, again, you probably have to sign into the active roster. Um, but, you know, outside of that, I think they they need to kind of, like you said, test the waters with John Hightower, test the waters with Joe Reed, like Keelan Doss. Like, I don't I don't know. Like, let's see yeah. somebody besides mm-hmm. Jason Moore get in this game and, and see what they can do. So it's going to have a bit of a preseason feel <laughs> from a skill player perspective. Ooh. Um, so I, I, I'm hopeful that Joe Lombardi with the whole week with these guys, uh, can come up with a good game plan. Like you said, week to week, I think he makes some good adjustments after the bye week. He'll make some good adjustments. It's just the, his biggest weakness, right. As a coach is that not, he does not have the ability to make in-game adjustments and pivot in game. So, uh, we'll see what happens there. Yep. Um, my key to victory is, is kind of an extension of that. I meant, I hinted at it a little bit. I need to see Mike Williams be featured again. Like Mm -hmm. I don't understand, like watching the game back, uh, it felt like they could have at least tested him a little bit, him being Patrick Zertan and they just didn't right until the very end of the game when it was like, okay, we can't really move the ball. So let's just throw it up to Mike Williams and see what happens. And then obviously they had that scramble drill at the same time. So, um, I need to see Mike Williams be featured in this game. A, because they don't have any other options I trust, uh, especially if Gerald Everett is not playing uh, with his illness. Mm-hmm. But also just because the Seattle Seahawks secondary does not, it's not intimidating to me at all. Um, you know, this would have been a great week to have Keenan Allen back because Kobe Bryant is giving up uh, receptions at one of the highest levels in the league at, out of the slot. And mm-hmm. Tariq Wollin, I mentioned this earlier, uh, he's getting some splash plays for them, and he's a, uh, a rookie prospect, right? But he's given up a lot of yards, a very high passer rating when he's not intercepting the ball. So this should absolutely be a week where you come up with some creative ways to get Mike Williams the ball. I'm not talking about just like throw him a bunch of jump balls. I don't know if I would do that against Tariq Woolen, right. give, give the rookie a, opportunities. But if you go back and watch that Houston game, they were really mm-hmm. deliberate with the way that they were moving Mike Williams around slants crossers um deep overs and i think that's what you have to do this week and just give mike williams some freebies you know they used him on um that slide route got him out in space Mm -hmm. i need to see houston mike williams for this team to win because frankly i don't know how else they're going to move the ball if mike williams is not getting 15 targets on sunday so 
it sounds simple to just like have the key to victory be like, hey, throw the ball to Mike Williams. But I, I just don't see how they move the ball without that happening uh, with all of these injuries that are just, you know, all over the place with this team right now. Yeah, this is not Patrick Sertan and Justin Simmons, who I'm sure were <laughs> right. just that like they had one assignment, I'm sure, the entire yeah. game, and that was it. Um, not that the Seattle Seahawks won't try to do the same thing, it's just not the same guys. Houston against Houston, they were so much again intentional with getting him the ball. They pivoted and said, Listen, okay, we tried to do this kind of same sort of offense that we kind of had with Keenan. But no, it's like let's be intentional with getting him the ball and not just like against the Chiefs, where it's like, okay, a curl. A go, yeah. a curl, a go. Yeah. It was let's get him involved, you know, in the play action, you know, shallow crossers. Let's get him involved in the slot from a slant. Let's get him involved from the outside on a slant. You know, it seemed like they were trying to get him more involved intentionally, and they're going to have to because it doesn't look pretty when you don't get Mike Williams the ball right now without Keenan Allen. They have to find a way to do it. And listen, okay, even if that is go balls to to Mike Williams, you got to give him a shot. Like you can't just. Yeah. Like I know Patrick Sertan is one of the best corners in the league. You could arguably he's the best corner in the league, but you are also paying your receiver $20 million. You go have to, you at least have to try. And if that yeah. ends up in an interception, oh, well, if Tariq Willing gets an interception, it happens, but you at least have to try because the flip side of that, of course, is Mike Williams, who is very good at doing those 50, 50 sort of things. So some attempt, some shot intentionally on a fade, whatever i don't care just try to get him a bit more involved and i i think i think they will but like i said i would also like to see them explore their depth so maybe they won't yeah absolutely i mean i think you can do both right i, I just think you need to really feature mike williams in a non-go ball way like be creative with how you're using him you're paying him 20 million dollars like you know let's get him the ball in space let's get him in the ball in deep overs and 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 see what happens i, I think again kind of like an extension of that I think they get a little too like distribute the ball-y in the red zone. Like if I, I think they are like, let's try and get Xander here. Let's try and get Everett here. Let's get Parham here. Let's get DeAndre Carter here. Like once you get to the red zone, just feed your money players. That's what they did last year. It was a lot of Austin Eckler. There was a lot of Keenan Allen, a lot of Mike Williams. And I think they just kind of need to get back to that. Like you don't have to try and create, you know, touchdowns for DeAndre Carter. Like just give the ball to your best players, especially when everybody else is injured. So um again you just have to feed Eckler feed Mike Williams and uh let your best players on offense make plays yeah uh we're going to get one target to Donald Parham and then three Larry Roundtree short yardage uh, handoffs man I understand special teams is important absolutely I get it you have no pass catchers like just play (laughs) Isaiah Spiller for the love of God like they haven't made the decision right but Isaiah Spiller was great as a pass catcher this summer. And I, mm-hmm. like, I don't think you have a choice. Like you might have to put Austin Eckler at receiver. So let's get Isaiah Spiller some action. Yeah. I guess that's one way to solve what you're doing this week is put Eckler as a receiver. <laughs> they finally try to get him more involved on those angle runs out of the backfield, which is like, yeah, the Broncos linebackers were hurt and yeah. not that great. Anyway, do that. Um, but yeah, Spiller, I'm hoping it's coach speak. Um, but to even suggest that Larry Roundtree does have a shot uh, is a bit tough because he did. Like in the summer, they were going Eckler is the primary, Kelly was the first of the second backs out, but Spiller was just a receiving back for them for the most part. And then unfortunately, he had no real opportunity to separate in the preseason. So 
I don't know, man. Like it, it's a coin flip for me. The right answer, I feel, is Isaiah Spiller. At the same time, I can justify why they go with Larry Roundtree. They might. All I know is that Joshua Kelly and Sonny Michelle have combined for 19 total targets in six weeks. So if they come out and target Larry Roundtree instead of getting Isaiah Spiller the football in that role, I'm going to be upset. Hmm. I guess we'll see. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, look at we, we We made it 57 minutes before we got to the fire Lombardi stuff. Almost. Jared Cook, better than all of our tight ends. No cap. Okay. Did we, did we watch Jared Cook play <laughs> last year? Did we watch the same player? Sorry, not, not um, to, that was my one call out of the day. I apologize. I didn't mean to just pick on that guy. No, that's okay. Um, in, in terms of Staley not firing Lombardi, I, I like I, I think both of us and Alex are on the same page of not firing the coach right now. But also, Joe Lombardi was not Brandon Staley's first choice. Like mm-hmm. he tried to get Kevin O'Connell, he tried to get Shane Waldron. Um, and then once he wasn't able to get, he tried to get Mike McDaniel, which would have been fucking mm-hmm. awesome. Can you imagine Mike McDaniel with this team? Oh man, that'd be fun. Um, so I don't think that there's any kind of allegiance to Joe Lombardi. However, that's not the issue with the team. And that's not the coordinator that I would be focusing on firing in my opinion. Yeah. Uh, we'll see. Staley certainly has earned some credit after beating up on the 31st. Uh, points per game offense, but yeah, definitely need to see more from Staley for sure. To me, the thing with Lombardi, and we've talked about this in the Discord or even just you know to each other, I think the thing with Lombardi that people forget is that he's an offensive coordinator, and yeah, he's a play caller, but he is an offensive coordinator. And to me, you talk about the development of all these players, like all of these players, the fact that the line they can draft linemen, they can sign linemen, they can develop linemen. All of his coaches seem to be doing a pretty solid job. Everyone's having career years. Like there is also that part to Joe Lombardi. I know people are bored with the play calling, and I absolutely get that. But I think same. Like, is Shane Day really? People are saying, you know, Shane Day could do better with Justin Herbert. I don't know how we know that for sure. Um, awesome, uh, Optimus Ryan. By the way, asking for a link to the GAC Discord. Uh, don't share the link with people. Uh, yeah, that is for uh, that. for YouTube members and Patreon supporters. Not that I'm trying to kick you out of the group or anything, just like you know. But uh, yeah, I mean, Brandon Staley shouldn't fire Joe Lombardi. Frankly, last year and potentially this year, depending how it goes, it's the offense is kind of the reason Staley might still have his job. Um, so we'll see. Yeah, I mean, uh, there's more to being an offensive coordinator than just calling deep shots. And I understand again, you know, the offense on Monday in particular was not great, but if you really go back and watch the Cleveland Browns game and then go back and watch like the Raiders game, you're watching a completely different rushing attack, right? Like the, they are doing very different things in the run game. And up until, I mean, it worked okay on Monday night, but um, you know, they were doing some really cool shit on Monday or against the Browns, excuse me from a, a run game perspective. So, um, you know, he, again, Joe Lombardi generally has some good answers week to week. You know, they made a lot of good adjustments after the bye week last year. I understand he gets a little boring sometimes, 100%, but it could be much, much worse. Like, watch other teams and and see what you are watching on a week-to-week basis and then watch Joe Lombardi and what they're able to do 
with their schematic thing. So, um, yeah, I, I think Joe Lombardi is probably safe on this team, um, but we'll see. Um, all right, Tyler, we'll uh, wrap up tonight's show with our uh, bold predictions. Um, I think I'll go first here. Um, I think we, let's see, how do I want to phrase this? Um, we know how Khalil Mack has been able to dominate some weaker competition. And I don't know if, if going with Khalil Mack is, is a bold prediction here, uh, but it feels like he's due for a big game. And he had a good game against the Broncos for sure. Uh, but I think he's going to put the this rookie tackle duo in a really tough spot. So I think we see at least three sacks from Khalil Mack on Sunday afternoon. Wow. Okay. Hey, I'm all for it. Um, I was talking to Jason, our, our former co-host from years ago now, it seems, uh, that Khalil Mack, well, he brought this up, that Khalil Mack is playing better than Joey Bosa ever has. I, I sort of agree and disagree, Oof. but what it really is with, with Khalil is Joey Bosa is, I'm sure even the numbers said before he got hurt, the better win rate, um, maybe more pressures and stuff like that. There's just something about Khalil Mack finishing plays and changing the game that Joey absolutely can do. But there's something about Khalil and the fact that he just, he does get that sack. He does change that game. He does force the fumble or whatever it is. Um, Again, I'm not trying to slander Joey Bosa. I love the dude. And I I think, frankly, I still would put Joey ahead of Khalil. But yeah, Khalil, man, three sacks. I'm all for it. That's a bold prediction. (laughs) I wasn't sure if uh, three sacks from Khalil Mack would be bold, but um, I can understand him being like more clutch, I guess, if you want to say that, being a better finisher, because I, I think that is true. Um, but after really studying Joey Bosa um, in the summer, like to mm-hmm. me, there's Miles Garrett and his brother who are, and maybe Micah Parsons now this year, um, yeah. that were better than Joey. So I, I think overall, Joey just, he does so many great things from a technical standpoint that you have to just be completely on your game every single snap. Mm-hmm. And and Khalil's not that guy. Like Khalil is much more of a power rusher. So you don't yeah. necessarily have to be completely on top of your technique on a snap-to-snap basis like you do against Joey. So if you want to talk about like Joey, uh, Joey being like more effective on a play-to-play basis and Mac being like more of a game wrecker, I think that's fair because mm-hmm. Mac is, is just such a physical presence. Um, yeah. But Joey, to me, like I said, like I think there's an argument that he's the best edge rusher in the league, um, but he's definitely in the top three or four, whereas Mac, to me, I feel like he's probably top ten. Yeah, not bad. Doing pretty good there. Uh, my bold prediction, uh, did I want to go defense? I was going to say something flashy on defense. I will say that because of what I said, not, not because of what I said, but going the same line of what I was talking about with the depth, I think DeAndre Carter cracks 100 yards this game. Whew. If Josh Palmer does not play, I feel like if he does play, that changes things. Um, but if Palmer's not playing, and it doesn't really sound like he will with his concussion, Carter gets over 100 total yards, not including special teams. Not including special teams. How are you feeling about DeAndre Carter as a returner, by the way? I, as a kick returner, I have no idea what happens because I've never seen a guy run into hard contact more than I have Carter and kickoff returns, which is weird because his punt returns are pretty good. Like yeah. he gets, you know, just I don't know what the numbers are. But it looks like he's a pretty solid punt returner. Uh, kick returns, 
I don't know why or what. Maybe it's a blocking thing, and they are trying to install new guys. Last year, it was someone like Chris Rumpf. Now, I think it's Xander, and I think it was Kelly as the wings. Um, so maybe that changes. But yeah, as a kickoff returner, his numbers aren't good. And we're watching it now where it's like every return, you might as well just take a knee or or, or let somebody else do it. And I really think that somebody else kind of has to do it at some point because it just it's not looking super hot right now. I think it's 19 yards, a kickoff return. I don't know if you're looking up the numbers. I am um, right he- now, yeah. Heading into the game, I think last week it was 19. Then against the Browns, he had two returns for an average of 19 and a half. Um, yeah, I don't know what it is. Yeah, so you have obviously you filter it to twenty uh, percent because then you'll get like Taysom Hill has a kick return for some reason. I don't know what happened there, um, but if you filter it to twenty percent of the returns, um, DeAndre Carter is thirtieth in uh, yards per average. So um, a lot of the guys that I wanted to return kicks are not doing much better, and obviously Andre Roberts is is hurt for the Panthers right now. Mm-hmm. Man, Devin Duvernay's at 36.6 per return. My God, that's awesome. That's fun. I love Devin Duvernay at Texas. Wanted him so badly. Um, but yeah, DeAndre Carter as a return has been a bit of a disappointment. Maybe, maybe that's because he's a full-time starter now and he's not fresh, but yeah, I don't know. Something to monitor, I think, throughout the rest of the season, though. 100%. I think it's a change they... <sighs> Can they afford to make it? Like, they're not that invested in DeAndre Carter. This isn't like JC where they have to force the issue. Sure. I think you see another game of it, and maybe things change. If not with Carter after the bye, then potentially with the guys that are blocking. Although, I guess if Kelly was the wing, then it literally will have to change. Uh, but we'll see who that is. Maybe Do it's Fahoko again. <laughs> Do we know who the second returner is? Jacob Webb saying Jasir. I don't know if Jasir ever got any reps as the returner. So it was in camp and granted you could you could keep everyone it was carter and then it was joe reed okay so i mean if he even gets but he's also buried on the receiver depth chart yeah so it would be him and then technically after that it was callahan and bandy so i'd be in favor of pivoting to bandy until he gets absolutely murdered by some <laughs> six seven tight end, uh, <laughs> we'll see. I mean, they, they, I think they do have to try something though because it is, you know, you can't this, half the drives I'm watching. You know, it's it's first and ten at the nineteen, and then Zion Johnson gets a ten yard holding penalty against the Broncos, <laughs> and it's like, oh, cool, we're you know first and nineteen <laughs> now. That's great. Why can't yeah. we score? So. Yeah, I, I think the returns, the early returns from Ryan Ficken, I think are are generally very positive. You know, they're uh, they jumped up after the fumble from twenty uh, second in special teams DVOA to fifteenth. So that was a, that was a good week for special teams overall. But um, you know, their return unit is, is definitely the weakest. Not punt return. Punt return is good. DeAndre Carter as a punt mm-hmm. return is is much better. Yeah, in a much better standing there, but. Uh, kickoff return is definitely the one we, the one biggest weakness of uh, special teams right now. Yeah. Although, what are they at in special teams DVOA? Like 15th? It's 15th overall, yeah. Unbelievable. But they're kicking... er- everyone's like in the 10 to 15 range, all three groups. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, so I think overall, you know, the, the Chargers had this goal of becoming like a more balanced team. I think they have uh, relatively accomplished that mission. You know, special teams mm-hmm. unit playing really well. Um 
you know, JK Scott is, I think he's second in the league in hang time average right now. Like he's doing some great things. That first punt on Monday night was atrocious, but <laughs> uh, the other punts were really good, man. So, you know, they're, they've taken a good step forward with most of their special teams units. If they're able to get, you know, maybe a dynamic return man next year in the draft or something like that, mm-hmm. um, then I think we'll really start to see Ryan Ficken, you know, start to establish himself as a much better special teams coach. That that quote that he, uh, Danny Popper was talking about from Desir Taylor afterwards that, um, you know, Ryan Ficken was coaching Desir and Dean Leonard to mm-hmm. do what they did at the end, man. Like that's that's fantastic coaching. And then obviously Desir Taylor, Dean Leonard get a ton of credit for uh, executing it. Yeah, I mean, shoot, half of us didn't even know that was legal. I'm yeah, really I had no idea. I was like, that's a penalty. <laughs> yeah, to me, it's like you just you can't do that. But not only could you do that, you that wasn't an accident. That's I mean, that's huge. That to me buys Ficken a year, <laughs> two years of my grace because that means you are understanding so much of what's going on. Uh, high IQ plays, high IQ players, uh, yeah. Jaw Taylor, man, it's like Ficken, J.K. Scott, Jaw Taylor. That match right now is really, really good. Yeah, absolutely. And I have to give uh, a shout out to something that Brandon Staley said after the game. Again, not many people probably noticed this, but I noticed it. Um, you know, he said that uh, Nick Neiman and Josh Harris, like together, are the leaders of the special teams unit. So hmm. um, we haven't heard a ton of, of Nick Neiman. I, I don't think he's necessarily getting a ton of tackles right now. Um, but to hear Brandon Staley talk about Nick Neiman in that way as being like the leader of the special teams unit. Um, was something that really stood out to me. Again, I'm weird like that, and I focus on things like that. But uh, yeah. I'd love to hear Nick Neiman you know, being a leader on special teams. I think that's fantastic for him. Yeah, that's really cool. And and really credit to, not that they've had a ton of turnover on special teams, but you know, Hopkins gets hurt. You have a new punter. You have a new long snapper, all this. The moves they made, like they've paid off. This is looking a lot better so far, and I'm happy to see it. Yeah. Absolutely. So uh, that's going to do it for our show tonight. Um, we'll have, again, Arjun's uh, analytics are going to be going up tomorrow. And then we uh, are going to do our usual Saturday Q&A where we'll have some of our final thoughts on the matchup. We'll hopefully have a lot of more clarity on the injuries that day. Um, hopefully, Odell Beckham Jr. is not a member of the Kansas City Chiefs by then. Uh, that's going to suck really badly, but we'll see what happens there. Um, Tyler, any uh, final thoughts before we head out for this evening? I couldn't find my mouse to hit unmute. <laughs> um, I'll finally be able to go to the game. So I'm really happy I'll go. be able to go. I've missed the last couple for various reasons. I'll be able to go. Also, in about three hours, it is my fiance's birthday. So happy birthday to my fiance, Janae. Yes, honey. Hi. Happy birthday. <laughs> She's right there. Um, that's awesome, man. Uh, shout out to Janae. Uh, great human being. Uh, very supportive of uh, the podcast, as is Brooke. So I uh, hope she has a great birthday. So, um, yeah, really excited for this game. I think it's going to be a much more uh, offensively driven matchup between these two teams. So it should be a lot more points on the board. Uh, we'll have all of that covered throughout the rest of the week. And all I have to say is this bye week cannot get here fast enough, man. This Chargers team needs a week off. Uh, so hopefully we can get some more, uh, get a little bit more healthy on the roster. So, um, yeah, like I said, that's going to do it for us today. Uh, hopefully if you are a baseball fan, your team wins, I guess, I don't know. The Mariners lost. So I don't really <laughs> care. Um, but yeah, we'll see what happens with, uh, Alex and the Phillies and the Padres and stuff like that. So, um, as always, if you are listening to this, please leave a rating or review. 
Always appreciate that feedback as well. And we'll see you next time. Bye-bye. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.